The last message that I would like to share with you today is one that has helped me so much in my own walk with Christ. Um, if, if any of you are Christian already, I'm assuming some of you are, then you'll know that something that gets thrown around a lot is this idea of God's will. What is God's will for your life? What is it that God wants for you? What is it He wants from you? What is it He wants to do with you? Or just what does He want, period? And I struggled with this. I struggled with this concept um, that my life was not in my own hands the first time that I came to that realization that God is in fact a real being. Um, I struggled with the idea that, hold on, does that mean that there's someone up there that just makes all my choices for me? That I'm just walking through this life, but every choice that I think I'm making, it's actually not me, it's God that's making it for me. It just feels like it's me to help me to play along with it, maybe. Um, And so I remember sitting down, talking to a good friend of mine. He's a, a mentor of sorts, I guess you could say. And he took me to Psalm chapter 32. And so that's really where I'd like you to turn if you've got your Bibles or if you've got your phones, uh, maybe a Bible app on your phone or just on, on a website. Psalm chapter 32. Let's have a word of prayer before we read God's Word. Dear Lord, we thank you for these lunchtime meetings that we've been able to have together. And Father, now we want to know what your will is for our lives. Bless this time. Bless the food, both physical and spiritual, Lord. Nourish, nourish our entire being, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm chapter 32. Look what it says in verse 8. Psalms chapter 32 and verse 8. The Bible says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with my eye. This is, this is a great verse. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Look at this. God says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. How do you think that sounds good? God isn't just going to leave you there to just wander around aimlessly until you find the right place to be. He says, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way that you will go. And then he says, I will guide you with my eye. This is great. This is all very nice. But I don't know about you, but when I read verses like this, it just doesn't seem very practical. I'm like, okay, God, you said that you'll guide me. You said that you'll instruct me. But exactly how is it that God is leading me with his eye? What does that look like? I'll be honest, the very first time I read this, I thought of Lord of the Rings. Um, If any of you have ever seen that movie, I'm sure you haven't. There's a giant eye in the sky that just kind of points wherever it wants things to go. And so I thought, God, how is it that you're actually going to lead me? How is it that you're going to guide me with your eye? What does that look like? Thankfully, thankfully, he explains just how in the next verse. Look at verse 9. He says, Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. So he explains it, and he explains it by a way of contrast. He says, listen, listen, I'm going to guide you. I will lead you. I'll instruct you in the way that you should go. And this is how I'm going to do it. Don't be like the horse or the mule. 
Stay with me. He says, the way that I'm going to show you is I'm going to show you through your understanding. And he says, by way of contrast, this is how I'm not going to guide you. Are you listening? This is how I'm not going to guide you. I'm not going to sit on your back as though you are a horse or some sort of animal. I'm not going to put the bit and the bridle in your mouth and wrap it around your head. And then whenever I want you to go left, I'm going to tug you to the left. Or whenever I want you to go right, I'm going to tug you to the right. God says, that's not how I operate. If I want you to go left, I'm not going to drag you left. I'm not going to sit on your back and make these decisions for you. Now, this could fall either way for you. Some of us, we like that liberating feeling of freedom. I'm in control. I get to do what I want. But for some of us also, we kind of wish that God was like that. Like God, I, don't, I don't know what I should do. Show me. Really deep down, sometimes we want God to literally just choose for us. Just to sit on our back and pull us to the left or pull us to the right. God says, that's not how I operate. The way that I operate, look at what it says in verse 9. Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no what? No understanding. In other words, God is going to use your understanding to guide you. In other words, there is some of you involved in this process. God said, I'm going to use your understanding. So here's the very first point. If you have no understanding, then God can't really guide. Are you with me so far? If you have no real understanding of God, of His Word, of who He is, then you're asking almost for the impossible and asking for Him to lead. And asking for Him to guide and instruct you in the way that you should go. We don't, and, and, and realize, we don't do this with anyone else. You wouldn't approach a stranger that doesn't know you and that you don't know and ask them for guidance or ask them which way you need to go. Unless, of course, you know, you know that they know the way. Can you imagine? Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I'll be honest. This is a t- terrible story. Terrible story. But when I was young, again, before I found the Lord, so don't hold it against me, I had this really, really, it was a habit, but it was a bad one. And I was fully conscious of it as well. I used to really enjoy when people would stop me on the road to ask me for directions. Because I would just make up the biggest lies, you know. Because I knew all the names of the roads. Because this was my area. And it happened to me so often, it was unreal. Sometimes old people would just pull up in their cars and be like, do you know where I can find this street? And I'd be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'd literally send them like on a half an hour wild goose chase around the area, knowing that they never, it was terrible. It was terrible. They were asking someone, they were asking someone that did actually know the way, but they were asking someone that they couldn't trust. They were asking someone that they couldn't trust. Now, I don't do that anymore. I don't. Sometimes the temptation comes, but I don't. I promise. <laughs> God says, I'll guide you. I'll lead you in the way that you need to go. But I'm going to have to use your understanding to do it. Like you're actually going to be involved. I'm going to have to actually use you. Now, Now there, there, I don't want to put a number on this. There, there is an infinite, listen to me, there's an infinite amount of ways that God can lead. 
The Bible says in Psalms 147 verse 5, Great is our Lord and of great power, His understanding is infinite. In other words, God knows an infinite amount of ways to work towards a particular goal or a particular objective. He's not limited by, by our logic or our reasoning. He's, he's got an infinite amount of ways to make something happen. But sometimes I feel like the picture of Christianity is something like this. I I'm, I, let's say I'm not a Christian, there was a time when I wasn't a Christian, and I walked into church and it appeared to me like everyone in church was the same. It appeared to me like everyone in church was the same. And I mean that across multiple levels. I think I shared with you earlier in the week that when I first walked into a Christian church, I was the only white person in the church. The church was almost entirely Caribbean. Um, and and I, was, I was fine with that, I just I stood out like a sore thumb. Um, and, and I felt, I felt like, hold on, everyone in here is kind of the same. Everyone speaks the same. Everyone does the same thing. Everyone goes to church on the same day at the same time. Everyone eats all the same food. It just looked like the whole point was just to make the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. But let me tell you something. Christianity has been around for over 2000 years. Doing the same thing over and over and over isn't actually working. I don't know if you've caught on. And sometimes it appears like the purpose of Christianity is just to take what you see as the ideal Christian and just cookie cutter them out so that everyone is the same. This is how you're meant to look. This is how you're meant to think. This is how you're meant to be. Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Now I'm a student as well. Copy, paste is beautiful. <laughs> but it's not the call of Christianity. Listen. Every single person that has been created on the face of this earth is created with a unique personality, with a unique character. And the point of finding God is not to lose that. God appreciates personality. He appreciates character. He appreciates the fact that He's the one that made you different from everyone else. Think of the Gospels, for example. There's four... There's four Gospels. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, and what's the other one? John. They're all about the same thing, though. They're all about the same story, the life of Christ. And they follow a similar pattern from the birth or the early years of Jesus' life, and they end all of them just after the resurrection. But, but even, though, even though they're all the same story, they're all still relevant. And they all have their own kind of feel to it. And the reason being is that all of them were written by different people. And you can see the personality of the authors come through in each gospel. You read the book of Matthew and you see that Matthew is a man who is very focused on showing the Jews that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. He constantly points them back to, so it was written and this is how it's fulfilled. And the Bible said this, he uses a lot of the book of Isaiah to show this really is the Messiah. That's what Matthew does. Mark is very action orientated. The Gospel of Mark is it's chapter 1, Jesus is being, Jesus is being tempt tempted. That doesn't happen until Matthew chapter 4 in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Luke is a physician. How many of you here are training to be physicians? I expected some more, but that's fine. 
Luke is a physician, so he notices, he notices the minor details. He's got a lot of small little things that the other Gospels don't really pick up on. And John just wants you to know that he loves Jesus. He's like, I love this guy. I love him. I want to call down fire from heaven sometimes, but I love this guy. Different flavors because the Holy Spirit's using different personalities to tell the same story. It's no different with you and I. God wants to use different personalities to tell the same story. If you choose to begin a walk with God, it doesn't mean that you're simply going to become like everyone else. There's a, a parable in the book of Zechariah. It's an Old Testament book, one of the minor prophets. And there's a priest, a high priest, his name is Joshua, and he's wearing filthy garments, filthy clothes. And it's meant to represent that his character, that his life, that his life record is in fact filthy, it's stained. And he comes before, he comes before an angel, and the devil is there, and the devil claims that, that this man is too filthy, that he's lost, that he cannot be saved. But the angel of the Lord comes and says, remove those filthy garments. Let me put clean garments on you, signifying that he can be changed, signifying that he can be made clean, that he can be made new. And this, just very briefly, is a snapshot of the Christian experience. Jesus Christ taking away your mess and giving you a new start, giving you a clean start. Here's the thing though, it's still Joshua underneath the clothes. It's still Joshua underneath the clothes. Newsflash, if you're not funny before you find God, you're not going to be funny now that you found Him. That's not the point of Christianity. The point of the gospel is to get rid of your character defects, not to completely change your personality so that now you walk around like some sort of zombie just telling everyone that they desperately need God in their life. God wants to use who you are. And sure, there's some, there's some bad habits that we have. There's sinful tendencies that are, that are deep-rooted that He wants to get rid of. But He actually wants to use you because there's a way that you can be used that no one else can be used because you're unique. It's funny the world we live in today. I've never seen such a, such a paradox where everyone wants to be unique and everyone wants to be the same at the same time. It's incredibly difficult to understand. You don't know which, which, which one they're going to be today. It's like, so, so are, you, are you trying to be unique or are you trying to be like everyone else? Because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mesh so well. This idea that I'm just like everyone else and I'm completely different. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult for me to wrap my head around. Within Christianity, sometimes it can look the same. Everyone's trying to look the same. But here's the thing. There isn't a Christian on the face of this earth who we're meant to emulate. Christ is lifted up as the only standard. The life of Jesus, which you too can become familiar with in this book, is the only standard by which we're called to attain. And we're not even told that we have to achieve it by ourselves. We're told that all the help in the world will be given to us. Just because you might be a Christian or you might become a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to be like everyone else. There's individuality even within Christianity. There's an individual purpose for your life, even as we collectively move forward. 
There's a few examples of this in the Bible where there's Bible characters whose destinies are kind of set forth before them. One of them, his name is Jeremiah. One of them is Jeremiah. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before you came out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. Listen, God said to Jeremiah, before you were even conceived, I knew who you were. Now, there was nothing special about Jeremiah that allowed God to know him that that's just who God is. Before you and I even exist, God knows who we are. Before you were born, I preordained you to be a prophet. In other words, it was my will that you would share my word before you were even born. Jesus is also one of these. In the book of Matthew chapter 1, in the 21st verse, it says, And she shall bring forth a child, and she shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In other words, his purpose precedes his existence. Jeremiah's purpose preceded his existence. Samson is another one. It was told that Samson, you may have heard of the Bible story of Samson, the, this great strong man with these beautiful long locks. And, and he was to deliver the, his people, the Israelites, against the Philistines. This was, this was his objective, his, his mission, his purpose was, was made known even before he came to be. I believe the same is true for all of us. I believe that God has a purpose for you and I, and He had that purpose in mind before we were even created. But here's the thing, just because God has that purpose doesn't mean it's going to be your reality, because God is only going to lead you, to guide you, and to instruct you through your understanding. And if you choose to not understand Him, if you choose to not get to know Him, then you'll probably never be that which He wanted you to be. And trust me on this one, trust me on this one, to exist outside of your purpose will only lead to unfulfillment. It will only lead to unhappiness. In many cases, it will lead to depression and severe depression. To exist outside of your purpose was not, is, is not the, the ideal of life. Now, here's the thing. I can't, I can't tell you, though, I'll just be honest. I can't tell you that if you do follow God's will for your life and you do dedicate yourself to that calling, that you'll have a happy life. I can't promise that. Because you read through the Bible, and for many of them, that wasn't the case. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, and he followed God's will for his life. He spent days, weeks, months, maybe even years weeping at the fact that, that this calling on his life was incredibly difficult, that nobody was listening. I can't promise you a happy life, but I can promise you fulfillment. One thing that, that the pastor that married my wife and I told us is he said, in your, in your marriage, holiness is the greater objective. It's holiness over happiness. Sure, when you get married and you unite your life to someone, you want to be happy. No one's taking that away. You want to achieve things in life. You want to have a really good life. We don't have a lot of time. 80, 90 years if we're lucky. You want to make the most of it. But holiness is even more important. 
to find God really is the purpose of this life. Because if we do, if we do so, then we have, we have lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes to exist after this one. It's so easy to look at this life and to think that it's everything. To think that these 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years are everything, but really, really they're tiny. They're tiny in proportion to how long we could have. They're tiny in proportion to how long we could have. It's almost like me offering you now $1. You can have $1 now. Or you can have $10,000 in 8 minutes and 45 seconds. I don't believe there's a single person in this room that's taking that $1. Because we understand that a little bit of waiting, a little bit of persevering, and the greater reward is laid before us. God wants to lead. He wants to guide. He wants to instruct you. Here's something that I've learned along this path is that oftentimes it's better to make the wrong decision than to not make a decision at all. You might find yourself in this valley of indecision. Like, I'm not sure exactly what God wants me to be, where He wants me to go. Do something. God can use something. What is, what, what, what's the greater calling in life? You tell me, to be a doctor or to be a dentist? About to start Loma Linda Civil War Part 1. <laughs> to be a doctor or be a dentist? Come on. How many of you think it's be, to be a doctor? You guys know you're going to get lynched after this, right? <laughs> Essentially, there at least should be the agreement, there at least should be the agreement amongst us that it's not so much whether you're going to be a doctor or whether you're going to be a dentist. Really, the, contro the controversy is, are you going to be a good one? Right? Are you going to be a good doctor? Because if I have a doctor that really wanted to be a dentist, I'm okay with that as long as he's a good one. As long as he's someone that knows what he's doing, as long as he's someone that cares. Now, it's not enough if he says, I'm a doctor, and I say, okay, so what do you do? He's like, I care. I need to know that there's more than passion behind your calling, that you do have some of the know-how, right? some of the qualifications before you start messing with everything that makes me up. But essentially, it's really about just making the actual decision. Push forward. The Bible says that God lays before us the paths of life and death. Choose ye which one you'll have. Life or death. I believe that God's will for our life a lot of the time boils down to one of those two simple decisions. To choose life is to choose Christ. To choose death is to choose me. To choose self. To put my own selfish ambitions above the greater good that God might have in store for me. Samson is one of my favorite Bible characters because he's one of the men in the Bible that I can relate to the most. And I'm going to share with you why if you, uh, if you manage to wander into Chan Auditorium tonight. But listen to me, God had ordained Samson's life. God said, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to be. Samson only did it part-time. 
Samson followed God's will for his life when it was convenient for Samson. And if you read the end of the story, you'll see that he did actually accomplish that that God set him to do. But the journey was the worst. The way that he got there was just full of trials and difficulties that he needed not have gone through had he followed what the Lord said. Knowing God's will is salvational. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and they will not enter in. But those that do the will of my Father, they will see the kingdom. There's three ways. How many ways? Three ways that you can know God's will for your life. The first way is through the Word of God. The first way is through the Bible. You might be wondering why God doesn't speak to us today. It's because the book is closed. He wants to speak. He's chosen this method to speak to us today. This is the number one way to get to know God and therefore to get to know God's will for your life. The second way. The second way to know God's will for your life is through the impressions that the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. The feelings, if you would. The ideas that come into the mind and say, you need to do this, you need to go here, you need to do that. But listen to me on this one. To just take step two is difficult because you have no real underlying principle and the temptation might be to just listen to those feelings. So whilst the Holy Spirit might put impressions upon your heart, you need to make sure that they're congruent with the Word of God. You need to make sure that they line up. And the third way, the third way to know God's will for your life is to look at the doors that He's opening and closing for you to walk through and for you to stay behind. Three ways. Get to know Him in His Word. Get to know how the Spirit is putting impressions on your heart. And pay attention to the things that He's doing around you. God will lead, He will instruct, He will guide you, but He will use your understanding to do so. I want to close with the story of a young boy called Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel was the son of Hannah, a barren woman who prayed to the Lord and then conceived. And she sent him to the priest Eli to be trained in the, words of, in the works of the Lord. And look at what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 4. It said, The Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Go to bed. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for you did call me. And he answered, I did not call you, my son. Go to bed. Now Samuel did not yet know that, sorry, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he shall call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. And so Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. 
And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. Samuel did not yet know God's voice, but yet God at that time was speaking to him, calling his name, saying, Samuel, Samuel, I want to get to know you. Samuel, Samuel, it's time to wake up from your slumber. Samuel, Samuel, there's work that I have for you to do. I want to do something through you that's going to cause everyone's ears to tingle. I'm going to put a message in your mouth, a message on your lips, on your tongue, that's going to shake things up. Israel is going to be awakened because of what I have to say through you. The Lord was calling Samuel, but Samuel had to answer. Samuel had to answer. Samuel had to get to know the voice of the Lord for himself. I have a challenge for all of you here today. Whether you're Christian or whether you're not, And here it is. I challenge you to begin today, to begin tonight, reading two chapters of the Bible before you go to bed. Start in Genesis chapter 1 or in Matthew chapter 1. The book has two beginnings. Start in Genesis chapter 1 or in Matthew chapter 1 and read two chapters before you go to bed. Just read it. Pray about it if you feel impressed to, but just start by reading it. Then read two chapters in the morning. Then read two chapters in the evening. Then read two chapters in the morning. You'll see the craziest things start to happen in your life. You'll see changes. Trust me on this. You'll see changes that you never thought were possible because the Word of God is living. It has the power to change the entire being. It can change your life. Listen to me. It can change your life. I used to tell people, just read a verse, read a verse a day, and then I found out that it would take 42 and a half years. <laughs> if you want to go deep, you can read a verse a day. But if you want to get to know God, you can just start with two. Start with three. I mean, I don't know if you've ever looked at the Bible before, but the chapters compared to your medical books, whew, super short, super short. Two chapters in the morning, two chapters in the evening. Let God speak to you. I promise you won't be disappointed. Let God speak to you. How many of you would at least want to make that commitment just for today? Just for today. You might not even have a Bible. That's fine. You have a phone. It's practically the same thing. Commit to reading just two chapters in the evening and two in the morning let God speak to you he wants to do something through you that he can't do through anyone else he wants to make the ears of everyone else tingle with the messages that he has for you for your life father in heaven we pray Lord that for those of us that are already familiar with your voice, that we become more familiar with it. But especially for those, Lord, that perhaps are considering trying for the first time. There might be some in our midst, Lord, that are in the valley of indecision. They've lived their whole life without you, but now 
now they feel some sort of impression where they're like, maybe I just need to make sure. Father, bless these ones. Help us to commit to a daily reading of your word so that we can hear you. We can't expect you to guide us if we're not even letting you speak. Speak to our hearts, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.